We all have times when we feel anxious or depressed, but now is the time to take control of your mental health. Hi, I'm Dr. Daniel Vinas, and I'm a holistic psychiatrist. Before we start this podcast, I want to introduce you to our brand new intensive online program that I'm super excited about. It's called Overcoming Anxiety and Depression. Brought to you by experienced mental health professionals, this program will give you powerful tools to manage your emotions and practical ways to excel in your relationships. This is a powerful, amazing, holistic program that will assist you in your battle for optimal mental health. Are you ready for change? Join our next session beginning March 5th, 2024. Learn more at beautifulmindswellness.org. Now to the podcast. Welcome to the Brain People Podcast, a show where four mental health experts team up to bring you practical tools for overcoming mental health challenges. The Brain People don't replace your doctor or therapist, but we will give you some extra tools to help you on your journey. So join us as we fight mental illness, one episode at a time. Welcome everyone to the Brain People Podcast. I'm Amanda Anguish and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Katie Elson. And today we are talking about all things sleep. I know a lot of you out there, according to the CDC, there's about 50 million of you who are struggling with sleep deprivation and another 20 to 30 million people that are suffering from sleep issues. And so we're gonna try to help some of you guys, at least the ones listening, um, on how to improve your sleep and how to get better sleep and even prevent some of the sleep problems you probably have. So. I just wanted to share a little bit before we start that um, there's actually, because of sleep deficiency, some of us are in experiencing depression and anxiety that if we improved our sleep, we wouldn't even have that depression and anxiety. Um, even 40% of our a lot of our learning is affected, up to 40% of our learning is affected by because of sleep deprivation. And that that specifically has to do with memory issues and stuff like that. Our memory goes down, our aging goes up if we're not getting enough sleep. And so um, we need more sleep and a lot of us aren't getting it. So I wanted to talk uh, with Katie here. Um, what are some of the things that you notice are contributing to sleep problems with some of your patients? Yeah, and so just to, to clarify, the approach we're taking today is from what are things that we can do, right, outside of taking medication. And the reason why I want to start with that is that's what we're going to talk, be talking about is what can we do, right? And a lot of people think like, oh, sleep, difficulty sleeping has only to do with my brain and chemicals. Yes, yeah, there's that component, but there are things that we can do to impact um, our brain and our sleep. And so some of the things that, that come to mind is because our body has this internal clock that it runs on, um, and that clock is impacted by light, by temperature. A lot of the things have exactly to do with light and temperature. And so, and routine, right? That clock. So one of the things that I just work with clients on is what's your bedtime routine? 
Um, what are you doing, right? As the sun sets and your body starts, you know, producing more melatonin, are you fighting against that process by watching a lot of TV, engaging a lot of screen time? Are you reading? What are you doing? So just assessing bedtime. And that's really good. And when you talk about that internal clock, you're talking about our circadian rhythm. And our circadian rhythm actually goes by the sun coming up and the sun going down. And so some of us are really trying to impress ourselves with how much we can fight against those things. And we don't even realize that we're fighting against something that's trying to help us, not hurt us by getting you know, anywhere between seven and nine hours of sleep. We're trying to go, oh, I don't need this sleep, but our bodies are telling us and we can't really fight that. It, that's just what we need. And you can tell that for people, they'll often say, you know, there's a window in which I start feeling tired. And then the moment I go past that window, it's like I'm wide awake again, right? We're fighting our body's natural clock. Um, when it's telling us it's ready to, to sleep, it's in the perfect condition to sleep, we're fighting that. Yeah, so you were you were sharing some of the things that you assess for with your clients and stuff. Um, one of those, let's talk about food. One of those things that we don't often think is associated with sleep, but it is quite associated with sleep. And that's not just what you're eating, but the times you're eating too. So let's talk about the times that we're eating. A lot of people don't realize there are ideal times for eating. You want to share something about that? Yeah. Well, for one, because our body has different clocks, being consistent about your meal times. And then on top of that, not eating a late meal, a late heavy meal especially. And, you know, it's if you think about it, if our body is using energy and resources to digest when it's supposed to be in a restful state— then your body is not going to sleep, right? And I know that you have a great analogy for that. Uh, I can't remember it. In I had regards enough- to the factory. Oh, yeah, the factory, yeah. How can a factory shut down if the machines are still working and the people are still in it? I thought you were talking about my other uh, fast food analogy. I was like, that one wasn't for that one. <laughs> <laughs> but it does go with the, you know, not even eating too late. You talked about schedule and stuff. And If we're eating too late, our bodies can't relax and go into that sleep state if we're eating past a certain point. And so even just to be more specific, if we eat past, you know, five or six o'clock at night, that starts to impede our sleep, you know, process. And even our production of melatonin and things like that are based off of that last meal and stuff. And one of the ways that we create melatonin is a cell in our gut actually makes that, and it doesn't produce that melatonin if we're eating way into the evening hours and and that sort of thing. And I know for some people, they say, well, I actually get sleepier. Like the reason why I overeat or eat a heavy meal is because it actually helps me fall asleep. And that reminds me of both why people overeat or eat heavy meals, and then also why some people drink alcohol. So I, I agree with them. It's like, yeah, it could definitely help you fall asleep. If you think about heavy meals, you're, the blood is being pulled from your, your head to your stomach, right? And so you have this sense of sleepiness. But when they actually do sleep studies and they look at the, the sleep and the brain activity during your sleep, um, referring to both alcohol as well as um, 
eating heavy meals, you see that they're like micro-sleep. So you're not entering deep stages of sleep in which those are the stages we need to feel restful. And so, yes, you may be falling asleep, but you're not staying asleep or you're not having good quality sleep. And that's one of the things that these the sleep research talks about is a lot of people are sleeping or they say they're sleeping. They're like, I don't have insomnia, but they don't feel rested afterwards. And it's not just do I fall asleep, but do I stay asleep? And do I get that deep restorative sleep that makes me feel good when I get up in the morning and ready to go versus, oh, don't wake me up. And I heard one guy say that he has to drink an energy drink just to get to the coffee pot to drink the coffee. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, that's definitely a sign of, you know, sleep problem. So you're bringing up caffeine, right? Mm -hmm. How does caffeine impact our sleep? Well, caffeine, we talk about this, there's this term half-life, and that's how much the caffeine or how long the caffeine lasts in our bodies. And a lot of people say, oh, well, I don't drink, you know, coffee or my energy drinks after 3 p.m. or something, so it's not affecting my sleep. But what research shows is that caffeine actually can have a half-life of 24 hours. So that's staying in your system and affecting your ability to sleep long after you've had that cup. And just because you are you don't think you feel that effect, it doesn't mean that it isn't still affecting you long-term. Now, I know a lot of people aren't going to like hearing this because <laughs> you're taking away that, you know, it's almost this ritual that we crave and we love, um, and we don't want to let go of that. And we're not here just to take things away. We're here to replace that with something that's even better. And that is that good night's sleep where you don't need it in the coffee or the caffeine in the morning. Yeah. And so thinking about caffeine, alcohol, and smoking nicotine and other stimulants, right? Yes. They're stimulating. And so if they are having these long half-lives, so half-lives not only for caffeine, but any drug, right? have these long half-lives, then they're going to be stimulating our brain and not allowing for our brain to be at rest. Yeah. And that's really what we want is our brain to be at rest. And we're going to get to that a little bit later, the brain, the specific brain part, like our thinking when we talk about um, cognitive behavioral therapy. But I wanted to continue a little bit because we already started with caffeine and, and food. And maybe we can talk a little bit more about there are certain foods that actually help with sleep, things that include like magnesium or omega-3s and stuff like that. And I, I just learned this recently because I'm fascinated by weeds in my yard and not wanting to get rid of something that might be helping me. And I just found if you live in this area, or I don't know how far you can find this weed, but it's actually called purslane and it's really high in omega-3. So if you want to save yourself a trip to the grocery store or the pharmacy, you can pull out that uh, purslane in your yard and start I was going to say, we're going to go to your yard. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a lot of it, but I have <laughs> enough for maybe a couple of people. Actually, I don't know how much you need of it, but just looking into some things that there are certain foods that actually increase versus like you were talking about the caffeine and other things that actually decrease your potential for good, healthy sleep at night. And so we want to include those kinds of things and recognize also, like we said too, the timing of our sleep is really important and the timing of our eating those that last meal is really important too. 
Um, how about, say, exercise? How much does that play a role in how much we sleep at night or how good and quality our sleep is? Yeah, so I'll first answer it to continue this line of thought of like stimulation, right? Yeah. We don't want to be exercising right before we go to sleep, right? So some people are like, oh, exercise is great for sleep. It is also importance of timing. Now, if we're exercising right before bed, of course, it's stimulating. It's going to keep us alert and awake. Um, and so we want to exercise earlier in the day. And exercise is wonderful in so many ways. Um, one of the things that I emphasize with my clients is, especially in relation to anxiety, is our body has like this built-up energy, right? Anxiety and anger, it's like this built-up and exercise helps release that. And so I don't know how many of my clients have described going to bed and feeling like wired or tense. And it helps with not just like that energy, but even that muscle relaxation as a component of deep breathing. So just so many benefits to exercise, but specifically like if you feel wound up, really have exercise throughout the day, get that energy out. And by the time you come to bed, you're exhausted, right? Where you could just have that deep, deep sleep. And it's 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 a it's a testimony to our bodies actually need to be active. We we're not good if we're sedentary. And sometimes I'll I'll mention to people or I'll ask the question, you know, if you lay all day on the couch, when do you do you feel more energy then, or do you feel more energy when you've gotten up early and done all these activities and it's only ten a.m. and you're like, wow, I got all this stuff done. You actually feel more energy when you've been active, but that translates into also feeling real exhaustion, not just lethargic at night versus laying around and stuff. So it's really important to get exercise, and it's it's great for your mental well-being too, not just for sleep and stuff. So we want to encourage that. That's what I love about all of these things that we're sharing is they're not just good for sleep. They're good for so many other things. And it just represents like a holistic way of living in terms of, wow, this does double duty or triple and quadruple duty in when I'm getting it done. Now, another thing um, we want to talk about is, um, you know, media, how media affects sleep. And I have a lot of... Uh, of my clients who, you know, they listen to music while they're sleeping at night. They have the TV turned on and remotes even have that time set to where it'll automatically turn off an hour in case I fall asleep. And a lot of people are getting used to falling asleep to music or falling asleep to the TV. And they'll even tell me, but I need it. I can't fall asleep without it. And I know why that is, but we have to be careful because that very thing is also stimulating us from getting that good restorative sleep too. Any comments that you have on that as well? Yeah, I would say that for most of my clients, if they're having a lot of screen time at night, changing that alone mm -hmm. has one of the biggest impacts on sleep and sleep quality. Um, so it's kind of an easy easy kind of low-hanging fruit to pick. If you're struggling with sleep and you notice that you are having a lot of screen time, um, a lot of media and so forth, um, just changing that itself. Now, I know that it's hard because we live in a society where there's a lot of screen time. Some people are like for work and so forth, but setting boundaries over, okay, I will work until this time and then I'll turn off the laptop, I'll turn off the phone 
And even just, and I don't only mean looking at the phone, but notifications. I do not know how some people sleep with their phone on, you know, on without airplane mode or without a do not disturb. Just your mind anticipating, there's a lot of research on this, just your mind yes. anticipating a notification. Um, even when they say your phone's in the same room for those who are taking tests, your your brain is not at rest. No, it's not. And and I've even noticed, I'm sure you've you've had this happen to you too, where you're in a therapy session and you're talking and the person, your client put their phone on do not disturb, not do not disturb, but on silent, but you're hearing it's hitting something else or it's vibrating, you know, the chair that they're on. And I think, well, when everything else is turned off, this is what the person is hearing, even if they've turned it on silent. And so the best thing that we can do is, and I tell this even for people who aren't trying to improve their sleep, but just turning off all the notifications. We don't need all of the notifications on, especially if they happen throughout the night too. And you might have to set some boundaries with some people and say, hey, you know, please don't call me after a certain time or I can't talk at this time. Whatever it is to keep your phone from doing that. And some people won't even take their phones into their rooms with them to sort of keep that from happening too. But yeah, there's there's not enough time to go through all the research on how it affects our brains when we're anticipating something. And that actually translates into one of the reasons why people use the media or the TV and the music to go to sleep at night is because of the thoughts. And this is this is my baby. This is where I like to go. I love all the other stuff too, but this is especially where I like to go, especially with sleep because we're finding the research saying that sleep medication not only does it not give deep restorative sleep, but it doesn't actually address the issue of why the person isn't sleeping at night. So you can take all the medication in the world, but if you're not addressing the real issue, then let's go to the real issue and get it there. And that is our thoughts. There's multiple reasons why we need the TV on or we think we need the TV and the music on and all this other stuff going. And that is because some of us are afraid of our thoughts. That's also why people are drinking alcohol, they're overeating. Yes. It's all to kind of self-soothe because mm-hmm. they don't know how to turn off their minds. Yeah, and one of the beautiful things about our minds is that if our brains are trying to tell us something, rather than shutting it out and trying to turn it off or distract us from that, we should really stop and listen to what our brains are saying. And for some of us, our brains are trying to tell us we have unfinished business that we need to take care of. We have relationship issues that we need to work on. Uh, We have things that we haven't been doing to take care of ourselves and our brain, it usually starts in our brain, but then it sometimes even goes to our body and our body will start telling us in terms of headaches and other things that our brain's started to tell us, but we weren't listening. And that's why I love, and this is where all the research goes too, the beginning of sleep problems majority of the time is in our thinking. And that's why there's even a type of cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And it's specific to insomnia. And if we don't address the thinking part, then our brains will continue to wake us up throughout the night. 
continue to keep us from going to sleep at night. And we all know this because if you have to take an early flight in the morning, how easy is it to sleep at night? Not at all. Not at all. I, to this day, I can set three alarms and my brain is still trying to say, Amanda, don't sleep through those alarms. I have never slept through an alarm and my brain still does not want to let me sleep because I don't want to miss that flight early in the morning. And so if we have something that we're struggling with and we're pushing it out, we're trying not to deal with it, how likely is it if we're that we're going to be able to sleep well at night if we're not addressing those issues. So this is my case. I know it's your case too for why we need to deal with those thoughts and those things that we're not dealing with and really take care of them. Yeah, and so two of the things that I know has been super helpful for uh, many of my clients is one, deep breathing. Um, And so someone might be thinking, well, how does that address your thoughts? It helps take oxygen to the part of your brain that is firing with anxiety or stress and kind of calms it and then allows for the frontal lobe to be able to address those thoughts more um, more productively. So deep breathing kind of calms it down so that you could actually work on the thoughts because sometimes they're just racing and so fast. Then another thing is what some people refer to as like a worry journal. Um, not right before you sleep, but maybe an hour or so before. Write down what are all those thoughts. Write, write them down. What are you worried about? And in addition to that, whether just to journal or to do actual like a thought record, a CBT thought record, but it's with the intention of resolving your thoughts. Either it's, okay, let me do something about it now, or I can't deal with it until tomorrow, until next month, but you're giving yourself permission to put those thoughts onto paper and to leave them there. I think that's also kind of the same idea of prayer, of giving it to God and saying, God, I give you these things and I'm going to sleep. Yeah, and you just addressed something else too. I like I the along with the thought journal and the worry record is like even recognizing which which of these things do I have control over, which it, versus which of them am I just concerned about and I can't do anything. Well, if I can't do anything about say a person saying something about me, but it's it's you know going on through my mind over and over again. Well, maybe I can at least have a conversation with them tomorrow about it to address the issue, but beyond that, I can't do anything else. And so I do have some control even when I don't have control over the person. I have control over how I respond to it or how I respond to the person initially and, and even long-term. So a lot of this stuff has to do with unresolved stuff that we're building up. And if you don't if you don't wash your laundry, what happens to it over time? It disappears. <laughs> I, I wish it did. <laughs> no, it keeps building up and it gets stinkier and stinkier. And that's the same way with our thoughts. If we're not dealing with the things in our lives, those things grow and grow and grow. And eventually we're going to have to deal with them some way. It's better if we deal with them early on. And sometimes that's just a matter of, you know, attending some therapy for a while to address those things and have that person supporting you as you're doing it and stuff. Um, These are a lot of the things that um, I had been looking at over time. Um, One of the benefits of taking care of these things and really addressing them is sleep also has the ability to improve our immunity. And right now in this day and age, we're having, you know, all these, uh, 
viruses and and things and even variants of those. And we want to make sure that we're as healthy as we possibly can be, even when that potential risk is there too. So sleep is a lot more important than we realize. And we want to address that so that we're not burnt out faster than we need to be or burnt out at all, that we're responding to the things in our life well. Um, I wanted to mention something else too, just a practical thing, just making sure that your environment is nice. You know, if you sleep in a really chaotic environment, if you're, uh, you know, have all kinds of, if your room's not tidy, if your if your room isn't a certain temperature and we like to keep it, you know, lower temperature, it's better to be in the cool at night versus really hot. We're recording this in the summer, so <laughs> I've had some of those nights recently, but that we sleep better when it's in a cold environment. So don't be afraid to open up that window and get that fresh air if it's, you know, colder outside and stuff. That's one good thing. Anything else you would add to that? I think it just to summarize, perfect environment externally, mm-hmm. right? And then perfect environment internally. It's a really good way of summarizing it. Yeah, we need both the outside stuff taken care of and the inside stuff taken care of. And Sometimes we want to focus on the outside because that's what people see, but the inside actually affects the outside so many times too. So I think this is really beneficial for, for people. And I know we've only touched the surface of so many things out there that either contribute to or take away from our sleep. Uh, We do have lots of resources on our website, so you can look that up. And thank you for listening. Thank you, Katie, for joining me. It's always fun to, you know, talk about these things with, you know, somebody that we know this stuff. It's like, you know, a nice symbiotic relationship and stuff. So if you only take one thing away from today's show, remember this. If mental illness is a whole person problem, then it must have a whole person solution. I'm Amanda Anguish. And I'm Dr. Katie Olson. And you've been listening to The Brain People Podcast. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes, find us on social media or support us financially, visit thebrainpeoplepodcast.com. 